Tom, we're, I think, oh, I think we're in trouble. <laughs> I think we might be in trouble. <laughs> us as a human race or you and I? Oh, no, you, uh, uh, the, the two of us. Okay. due couple grande cathedrale de Milano. We have, uh, we got, a, we got a, a submission, a listener submission. It's follow up. It's followers. Oh, it is. I'm from gonna, one that we've done I don't before. Hide it. Yeah. I okay. don't want to hide it. But it does require just a little bit of uh, reading that I do okay. to you now, if you don't mind. We love hearing from our listeners and submitters. We do we always? <laughs> oh, no. Okay. We do. No, it's fine. Uh, here we go. This is from listener Emily. You guys, many exclamation points. Parentheses. I love you. You're awesome. Your show is the best. Anatomical heart emoji. Okay. Yep. But today's episode equals actor and then a couple of like shock face, oh my God emojis. Uh-oh. Okay. What have we done? So, gravity, oh, says no. Emily. <laughs> I remember the gravity or lack thereof or too much of. And yeah. Several years ago, while my mom was dying, I started having panic attacks. And one of them happened while I was driving. I never previously had any driving anxieties. I was a lead foot, loved driving anywhere, anytime, dabbled in racing kind of gal. But after that panic attack, everything changed. The road where I had the attack is around the corner from my house and one of only two roads leading out of our small town. Anxieties about that stretch of road lead to me almost exclusively taking the other route, even when it added 20 plus minutes to to my otherwise brief errand, my anxieties to the point of not being able to drive further than a couple of miles from home, only on surface streets, and only during the day. This really sucked for my homeschooled kids, and it was largely for his sake that I... Kid is plural. She only has the one. Okay. (laughs) Homeschooled kid. And it was largely for his sake that I've managed to work through my anxieties enough to have now driven many thousands of miles to get us to homeschool gatherings over the last few years, spending as much as four months of the year on the road. Wow. What? Yeah, as the only driver with my precious kid in the car, the pressure was on to be safe and good at all times. The anxiety does still kick in sometimes while driving, and I've been able to identify it as being uncomfortable in 3D space. More precisely, I've developed a fear of gravity spontaneously releasing and the car floating off into space. This only happens while driving on the freeway over high bridges and long open straightaways. Cut to today. (laughs) No. (laughs) She didn't write that. That was me. So, can you guess where I was listening to the Gravity episode? Yep. Driving on the freeway. Cue racing heart, sweaty palms, lightheadedness, tunnel vision. The worst I've had in years. I deployed some usual coping mechanisms, bilateral tapping, slowing way down, getting off at the next exit, and a new one immediately turning off the stereo. I'm currently in a parking lot. She's writing this as she's having the listening to the show having a well, panic attack. Okay. I'm currently in a parking lot. <laughs> I have her on the phone right now, Tom. We need to talk her down. <laughs> Kidding. I'm currently in a parking lot a half hour from home. Family is out of town, so no one to call for a ride, and I have to get on the freeway to get home. I guess it's exposure therapy time. Wish me luck. If you never hear from me again, just know that I laughed until I cried too many times to count while listening to your podcast. I'd use an emoji here, but they're too fraught with meaning. Your panic pal, Emily. (laughs) So, how do you feel? You've done good work here, Tom. (laughs) Are we sure? (laughs) What a terrible (laughs) advertisement for this. For this entire podcast. podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. That's the worst. I am. I do take umbrage to one thing. It sounded like during while you were taking care of yourself, which is great, you turned off your stereo. Emily, you never turn us off. Emily, I don't care about your deep breaths or your breathing into a paper bag, counting backwards. You never turn off what's that smell. What if we found out what the smell was? You would never know. Yeah, because as soon as we find out what the smell is, there's going to be like this huge explosion. And then all episodes disappear and Pete and I are never seen or heard from again, much like maybe you. I'm so sorry. This is awful that we made you feel that way. I hope maybe once you're done with your adorable, horrible panic attack, you're able to then realize again, most importantly, you're not alone. 
in feeling this way all of that time that maybe you felt like an anomaly when you were having those panic attacks while driving it sounded like 1800 miles for a play date <laughs> i got a little confused but either way uh you're not alone and we're very sorry that we put you through it but maybe it's like you know exercising a a muscle <laughs> we're well, just putting you through a safe say, version yeah we've We've talked in the past about the the perils of having panic attacks on the road, and it's no joke. And you know, I, I totally relate. Like when the arm goes to starts going numb, and you realize your chest is seizing up Oof. and you can't breathe, and you're driving. Like just, oh I, you know, that is a that is an absolutely uh, horrible thing. And I can uh, the only reason I can uh, laugh about that experience is that I haven't had one while driving in a long time. So I totally get it, and I'm so so sorry uh, that you were feeling that and. And um, also, you know, thanks for your restraint on the emoji thing, though, because those are serious. Those are serious. And to the rest of our listeners, welcome to another episode. Pull over (laughs) immediately. (laughs) Got the feeling in your bones. Make you feel right at home. Honey, does it, does it well. Keep me dancing till I'm dead. Welcome to What's That Smell, a sometimes funny podcast about humans and their anxieties. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Metz III. And every week we each drag one of our deepest, darkest anxieties into the light to share it, learn about it. And hopefully laugh about it with all of you. Reach out. After that open, reach out, visit whatsthatsmell.net, click on the button that says submit your anxiety, and just start typing. Just start typing. You know what? We don't even care what comes out of your fingers. Just lightning finger all the way to us. <laughs> uh, anxieties, grocery lists, journals, we'll take whatever you've got. At this point, we're just starved for attention <laughs> and and need, need to take what you have on offer. So you're the best. Thank you. And with that... Get ready, strap on your big boy pants, Tom. I'm going first. Deep inside the depths of stone, voice will echo me no phone. Rule by the laws above, nature shows me, makes me taught. Tom. Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter. That's three. We got, um, we tried to draw the line around certain topics around here you know like we don't want to get we don't want to get too political there's right? two things we don't want to talk about politics and tiger king <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes because real, real quick Pete, i haven't i still haven't watched tiger king i haven't watched tiger king. i've never that, watched a single episode i'm just going it. to okay go ahead no yeah. no so this is a very tiger king heavy Oh, no! Uh, listener submission. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. I'm going to read it to you again. I know this has been a lot of Pete reading. Read what to me? We'll, we'll get through it. The listener submission! Oh, it's a listener oh, submission! you're right. Yeah, no, Exciting. you're right. Thank you for encouraging the uh, the, the introduction there. I totally flubbed that if, if I'd been left all. on my own. I do have to read to you this listener submission, and, and it's a lot, and it's going to ask a lot of us. Oh, and oh. I will say, it's it's not going to be easy, and it might not be kind. Oh but no! I think we can. I think we can do it. I think no. we can do it. Okay, real quick. Good. Real quick. P.S. Yeah. Emily, mm-hmm. get out of your car. <laughs> the parking lot is not enough. Get out of your car. Throw your car keys into the nearest bush. Everybody, do it. Wow, this right. sounds with I'm that setup exciting. <laughs> yeah, here, here we, go. we go. This comes from listener Bo. Oh, hi, Bo. Listener Bo. Okay. My anxiety centers around pretty much the state of the world right now. Oops. (laughs) I never have been an anxious person, but with the political climate and the pandemic, I'm finding myself feeling more and more misanthropic with the human race and less interested in interacting with people in person. So much of this stems from the intensity everything is at right now. I had a great circle of friends who were from all different spectrums of beliefs and interests, but now it feels like none of them want to connect because of the big differences in our opinions. Mm. I know it makes me less inclined to do so, trying to be generic with my politics, as I am sure this affects people on all sides, at least I hope so. Topics have become too divisive. 
And then when I have a circle of friends who I can still connect with, I find out that one of them has completely opposing views on vaccinations. I just want to shut my door to all of them. I know this is unhealthy, and as a family man, I know it's impossible to do and wouldn't be recommended. I don't know what to do. Honestly, I'm finding more connection with friends I've been making online, but the downside is that it leaves me with no one to hang out with in person. I feel like I somehow need to get back out there, but fear how judgmental I'll be of everyone I meet because they're doing it wrong, written in quotes, and hence afraid to actually connect. I'd love your thoughts. Keep up the great work. Well, there it is. Bo, you are having the same conversation that (laughs) the majority (laughs) of America, unfortunately, is having. Thank you for bringing it up. I guess, yeah, Pete. Yeah, how do you? <laughs> We've been how do you divi- tiptoeing well, around some of this stuff. <laughs> oh, we sure have. Yeah, no, this is this is really. Uh, can I it. point out one thing real quick? Just because I want to yeah. put it on the yeah. docket, I don't want to interrupt you. I want you to lead this. One thing that I think that's interesting that Bo put out there, and thank you again, Bo, for submitting, is he doesn't seem. Let's call him a he for uh, for lack of a better. He does not seem to be afraid about being judged. He's afraid about going out into groups of people and not wanting to be around them because he's judging them for their decisions. Is that interesting or different, or is that just the other side of the same coin? I feel like some people yes. go out and they're worried yeah. that they're, they'll be judged for their political views. He's coming out more like, you're doing it wrong, which is an interesting well, take. Yeah. yeah, it really is. And in fact, that was my first note. And my as apologies. I started okay. reading about this, the 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 anxiety here, and when you start looking at it, there is a sort of evolving sense of anxiety around uh, the, the act of judging others, mm. right, between judgment and judgmentalism. Right. Oh. <laughs> judgmentalism is this kind of evolving term that sort of defines what we're talking about. Like I look at it like the difference between social anxiety and judgmentalism. So social anxiety at its sort of most pure is this fear of others judgment of us. Right. Spot, right. Spotlight right? effect. Everyone's looking sure. at me and I'm less than. Yes. Exactly. Judgmentalism, then, is the fear of our own inability to live without judging others. Interesting. Judgmentalism. Cool. What do you think about that? That's I'm glad that there's a word for it. I think it's a I think it's a thing. And I, I start reading about it and I see, that, you know, over the last eight to 10 years, there have been a number of hits on this on this term judgmentalism in and around political media. And so you see more and more sort of opinion um, that journalists writing about, um, you know, the, uh, judgment and judgmentalism in terms of how we feel about each other's politics mm. and how politics is becoming more and more divisive because of this of this place where we where we are ideologically right now right there is a divide across which we cannot cross because of our um, because of our ideological worldview and the most recent one I just read right as we were doing this uh, getting ready to to start the show uh, was by Cal Thomas in the Washington Times who was uh, a um, you know, just talking about kind of dancing on the ideological grave of Nixon, for example. Mm. And and uh, in this case, he was saying, you know, this was right around when uh, uh, Kennedy uh, passed and said, you know, I, I, I am a what many consider a hardline conservative, and I loved Mr. Kennedy. Mm. Uh, and and so, you know, what has happened that so, like, fewer and fewer people every day are able to Any say kind of, that? Like, across the aisle. Yeah, right, right. Or a bipartisanship, or, right. And it was so easy for us to have that conversation in light of politics, and then the pandemic. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the fraught uh, sort of partisanism that happened uh, over the last six years. Right. And then race and then all of the things have just like boiled up. And now we have been inside and alone for, you know, 18 months. Right. right? As we we're coming out of the shell and all of that just sort of boils over. So I like to look at this uh, to call this, uh, you know, the picking your nose in the car, colon, windows up, windows down. Okay, explain. <laughs> no, you love it. You really, you know exactly. I said it, and it was the sweet spot. And you're just laughing because you don't want to be associated with it because well, you know it's true. I don't get it. Windows up? Are they shaded windows? Are you saying windows? Doesn't people... matter. That's the point. 
Oh. It doesn't matter if they're shaded. You know the feeling. You know the feeling. There's you got the window down okay. and you can hear the outside and you stop at a stoplight and you hear the music from somebody else's, you know, you're in you're in Los Angeles. It's probably a convertible, right? Next to you, they pull up next to you. Sure. I mean, who am I kidding? You put don't you drive a convertible? Probably a convertible Miata. Probably bright yellow, yeah. Yeah. banana yellow. My car runs, <laughs> it, it's made of seagulls. Yeah. Right. This, is, this is everything that California is <laughs> known for. Yeah. Yeah, you're yeah. the stereotype. Yeah. And you pull down the car and and then you do that nod, you look over and you you wink and nod and it doesn't matter who's in there. <laughs> okay, right, fair enough. Right. Okay. Yeah. And and then you you hear like all of that and so you are probably going to be restrained at that point in your nose picking behavior. Mm. Okay? Okay. Now, you roll up the windows in your car and suddenly you feel that kind of protective vacuum around you. Oh, but it's a fake. And you can't. Oh, that's interesting. You can't hear, right? You can't hear as well. You feel like you're protected. How long does it take you to apply finger to nostril? Not very long. Of course, I'm speaking metaphorically here, yes. but <laughs> you get you get my point. Sure. Fing- finger figuratively. Hey, look hey, at you. you! See what I did there? Yeah, yeah it was great. It was great. Uh, so. <laughs> I, I think that's kind of what we're talking about here, right? That that it's like there is we're conditioned. That's where I've landed on this thing. That this is about uh, that the the anxiety. If we center on this anxiety around our uh, around judgment and judgmentalism, mm-hmm. right? That all of these things, if if we're able to put aside our ideological worldview and not judge others for for their behavior as readily as maybe we are conditioning ourselves to do, mm. then it's possible we can go out and expose ourselves through this anxiety, right? This anxiety of not being overly harsh toward people that we otherwise love, the people that we want to to be with, sure. if it weren't for these these rather sort of hardcore divisions. That's what I'm trying to kind of see through. And, and I say all that because I don't know how to do it either. I mean, there are people in my own life that I, I too, like everyone, I don't know how to relate to them and watch their behavior. And, uh, you know, I, it, it took a long time. My feelings were, were really hurt when I was, when I would watch, you know, people that I love and cared for me when I had COVID and was not, <laughs> I was feeling less than great go and and decide that they weren't going to get vaccinated right because that was their belief system and i that was insane to me it kind of feels like a slap in the face for you cuz you were having you weren't having covid you were having covid like you were the you were having the worst possible version of covid yes yeah, yeah. uh and and so i just feel like i uh it it took a long time to kind of get over that and realize for me that I just miss human beings so much and that the value of having those connections is very, very high uh, for for me. And at some point, what you know, when do I have to stop and think I, I have to get to, I have to get to the other other side of this so that I can have love in my life again, right? And humanity. So, you know, I start, I just was thinking about like, what does judgment mean in our lives? Go ahead. Well, the there's two things. Number one, when you were talking about the evolution of this and how it's gotten worse, I think everyone has said this 18 million times, but it just behooves us to say it real quick, that one of the things that happened during the lockdown is echo chambers. We don't even have to go into the full misinformation, disinformation, all of that. But left to our own devices, we like our choirs to be preached to. And there weren't, in general, discourse. If you're going to an office every day, depending on what kind of office you're going to, normally you will hear different opinions, different things, and a human face to a differing opinion, which makes you natural. On the internet, none of that happens and none of that is true. Um, So there was that that I think really became entrenched. The other thing... Uh, based on everything that you're saying is judgmentalism also seems very based in a, and this is all of this is sort of with kid gloves, but it seems potentially to have roots in a belief that there is a right and a wrong, that there's a black and a white, whereas the world is usually built on gray, where that intersects very difficultly with, because you brought up COVID, is take religion. I'm personally not religious. I am currently an atheist, but I'm not a jerk about it. I love religion. I love the idea of religion. And I'm pro-religion until your beliefs affect the livelihood or happiness of other people. 
that your life, your life beliefs then have actual effects on the well-being of those that are not you. That's where the problem comes in. And, I mean, science has spoken uh, that uh, vaccinations will help the common good. That we they help us lead to these fabled things called herd immunity. They keep us from being sick. They stop things like the Delta variant from running insanely. And so people who choose not to get vaccinated, while I am a fan of personal freedoms, while I'm a fan of the world being gray, it's different when your personal actions are harming those around you. That's where some sort of line, it's not just sort of, I believe this and I'm right because that's what my grandpappy told me. There's a world of that already. And that's annoying, but that's just annoying. This is actually affects lives and children that can't be vaccinated. That's where I think it really turns into, it's no longer about your anecdotal Evidence. It's no longer about the stories you heard or what uh, Nicki Minaj said when that person clearly cheated on his wife. <laughs> it's, a, it's a venereal disease. <laughs> we all know that, right? It wasn't. <laughs> he went out, slept with someone, got caught, and his testicles became the size of a melon. <laughs> Anyways, it's not that kind of podcast. What I'm saying is that, yeah, that there, there, unfortunately, with that kind of stuff, I think there are real lines to be drawn that that's not as much ideological as the safety of the human race. Well, and that's it. That that gets to you know, like we're we're teaching ourselves to judge others, right? We're teaching ourselves to be judgmental by these echo chambers, and it, it leads to to Schadenfreude, right? That and it's not just getting joy in other people's pain, right? Like I, I you know, it might be funny again with the Benny Hill theme to watch a bunch of people step on a rake. That that's fine, but what we're talking about is like we when we don't know how to cope. So we take solace in telling ourselves that the story of others is somehow less than in their wrong in order to make our right the state of normal, right? In order to normalize our experience as baseline, everybody else has to be crazy, right? And with ideological stuff, taking away, from, stepping away from the grenade that I threw, but the true grenade that I threw about COVID and safety, if we go back to just basic ideological stuff, you, that really can become your identity. That you stand by that, that you are a freedom fighter, you are a believer in free speech if you feel the people, if you're against cancel culture, and that becomes so much your identity, the problem is then, yes, you have to be, it's really hard to be proven wrong. Once that becomes your identity and you will kind of bend over backwards. There are two things going on and I don't want to under like understate what you said, like that there are, there are positions that, that. It, it, that cause real sort of verifiable harm in the world and 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 harm to yourself if you you know I, like i just i the the stories about the vaccines uh, you know are are legion now we don't necessarily need to go into the like i i still don't believe in covid on my deathbed while dying of covid kind of stories but they're out there there's a lot um, of them yeah yeah and and so that's you know that it it is what it is but i i think that there is this line that in order for mental and emotional health we have to at least approach which is you know how important is it not to to stop proselytizing our mm. positions so, so you're saying the idea of the importance of going back and reconnecting yeah. Getting getting past this identity and, but you're wrong and I'm right, versus the importance of I want you and need you in my life. And I need people in my life. And people are yeah. hopefully, or at least used to be, much more than their ideological or political opinions. <laughs> they also like to fish. They also like have hobbies. Maslow's hierarchy yeah. of emotional health, right? Like at some point, our emotional shelter comes to in togetherness. And and to your point, how will we start to engage and and sway a national opinion if we cannot be together in the same room at, at water coolers? Right. How will we be able to start having these conversations that matter if all we're doing is having these conversations on the Internet? That's the thing that makes me both sound and feel old and kind of archaic, <laughs> right, uh, kind of antique. But I think it's it's important just to to realize that, like, I, I feel very different 
when I am looking at you on camera versus when we had lunch together for the first time in years uh, just a couple of weeks ago and got to give each other a hug. That is a very different experience. You do feel different even just between you and me because like over online, you're enraged by me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, I disgust you online. But yeah. then when we're sharing yeah, most a fish of the taco, time, yeah. <laughs> it's everything's everything is just really, really objectively different. <laughs> Do you see what I, do you know what yeah, I mean? So sure. I, I, I feel like that. And, and, you know, paranoia begets more paranoia. And if you're constantly asking, like, if you find yourself constantly judging others work, if you can't stop yourself from critiquing someone when they're like replacing your screen door, mm. like all of that behavior writ large on the internet is it, it begets more anxiety and paranoia, right? Every step that you take, you know, down that road of not um, of not actively practicing stepping back from the rage line leads to you being existing further across the rage line and the skeptical sure. line and the, you know, the, the unforgiving line. And uh, I, I think that's, so when we come back to Bo, Bo, there's a lot in here, Bo, there's a lot. And all I can say is I get it. Yeah, I get it. And also, I don't want my kids to watch me shut the world down because I can't enable that part of my brain to slow down, to stop, and to, and to compartmentalize a little bit. Oh, wow. To be able to stop and say, hey, this is the hard work of being a human being in a social enterprise. Like, we are social creatures, and at some point, we have to be able to eat a burger without talking about, you know, and, and without engaging in trying to convince one another that we're wrong or to convince others that we're wrong. No, it does. And it can be, I mean, we are on, we are in unprecedented times. They're very yeah. precedented in the history of America. They're incredibly yeah. precedented in so our precedented. life, in our lifetimes. They are, they seem very rare and very hard to, how will we ever get over this? We've never seen, we've never been this divided before. America has, I promise. Lest, Re- lest we forget the says, Civil War. <laughs> yeah, yeah. History says we've been even more divided. We were the same, but with muskets. What I mean to say is what it is, like just like the Civil War, also the Lincoln also very much continually had an eye on reconciliation. The bringing back together. Um, like you were saying, the emotional paranoia leads to more emotional paranoia. It also leads to emotional paralysis. That the yeah. idea of not being able to reach across the emotional aisle to just general people, the friends, the stuff, and be able to see them pass their ideological beliefs, the things that you don't believe in. Again, if they are intracting on your own personal safety, I believe that's different. But if it's just things that you feel that they are not well-read enough or that they are reading the wrong sources, they are definitely probably feeling the exact same thing about you. There's too many sources out there now. The idea is to maybe, when you're reconnecting with these people, and this is really, this I'm going to bring this up as if it's my own point, but really, it's just different words for the point you just made, Pete. Think about it like a marriage. From, I'm not married, but from what I've heard, marriage is work. Yeah. It's worth yeah. it. But marriage is work. It's not something that you can just sort of let go willy-nilly and assume everything will work out. That's how things die on the vine. Instead, you have to really make a concerted effort to reach across, to meet them in the middle, and to listen to them past things, to not wait for listening to things that you disagree with. Find other things. Find what you do connect with. And then from there becomes a human face and then maybe will become an honest uh, conversation about uncomfortable things. But until you reach that common basis about something else, you're just going to be shouting talking points at each other. That's what most cable news is. That's that is actually how I mean, many people don't know this. That's how the Civil War ended Mm. is when a member of the blue and a member of the gray got together on a field in somewhere and said, say, that's a nice musket. And they were like, no, come on, this one. Come on, this. Did yeah, this old I thing? I was looking at yours. Yeah, your musket, <laughs> your musket's uh, pretty good. And then and then they just sort of leaned closer. And reconciliation. Yeah. And instead of... That is reconciliation. Instead of brother against brother, it became mustache pressed against mustache. And together... <laughs> Those two men <laughs> fell in love, and so did the rest of America. Did I? Did I not? Are we writing Civil War fan fiction? 
I don't see normally <laughs> I would go straight to music because there is nothing to say to Tom about that, but I can't I because I have to come back and say yes. thanks, Bo. Thank you, you Bo. You and did, I, I guess you know you get the conversation you deserve, right? But I mean, <laughs> yes, you get, and <laughs> sometimes you don't get what you want, but you get what you deserve. <laughs> and also, Bo, we're we will not be able to have real answers for this because we are figuring it out in real time too. Thank you for bringing it up because a lot of people wouldn't bring it up. And a lot of podcasts wouldn't talk about it. And maybe we shouldn't have. We'll see. Maybe we shouldn't have. I, yeah, we don't know. I, I just think, I think, I think the, the bottom line is I, I think having a little bit of compassion on the the human side and being able to say, hey, I, you know, in my head, I know this other person doesn't agree, but in my heart, I feel like if we can come together and have fun watching a movie, one day maybe we'll be able to have the harder conversation again. And that's that's all we can ask. Yeah. Because it's not going to be screaming at each other across the rage line. Maybe get, maybe get your friend a musket. <laughs> a little musket party. We don't know. A musket it, and a mustache. It worked for America. Musket and a mustache. <laughs> oh, I can see the cover of the book. The right cover now, of what? Oh, the, book? <laughs> the cover of your romance novel. I, thought, I can see. I thought you were the cover the, of my tombstone. <laughs> uniformed. Maybe in some sort of a dip embrace mm. and mm. just a musket and a mustache. Mm -hmm. A tale of love <laughs> at Valley Forge. <laughs> <laughs> In 1967, a long-haired and bespectacled poet wrote, There's nowhere you can't be that isn't where you're meant to be. And even though he lived over 100 years earlier, an American grocer in Prince William County, Virginia, would surely have agreed to this sentiment, as his own life story seemed forever intertwined with something else, no matter how he tried to change his fate. The grocer's name was Wilmer McLean, and he and his family lived on a farm in the northern Virginia county of Manassas. And on July 21st, 1861, during dinner with a most distinguished guest, a cannonball suddenly dropped through McLean's fireplace, causing considerable damage to his household. How did this come about? Well, the distinguished dinner guest was the outstandingly named Civil War Confederate General Pierre Gustave Dutont Beauregard. And behind McLean's house ran a little stream the locals called Bull Run. As such, McLean's was the site of the first major battle of the Civil War, the Battle of Bull Run. After the destruction of his home, which General Beauregard had been using as a temporary headquarters for the rebel army, McLean took his family and promptly left town in an attempt to escape the throes of the war raging across the American plains. They finally settled in a peaceful Virginian village about 120 miles to the south, and Wilmer immediately began working as a merchant trader. And with that, the McLeans had escaped the war. Until four years later, that is, for the peaceful village Wilmer McLean had relocated his family to was none other than Appomattox Courthouse, Virginia. And on April 8, 1865, Confederate General Robert E. Lee sent a messenger to McLean's house asking for the use of his home in order to meet with Union General Ulysses S. Grant to discuss terms of surrender. Reluctantly, McLean agreed, and it was so. Thus, as he was later fond of saying, the Civil War began in Wilmer McLean's backyard and four years later ended in his front parlor. Sometimes we're destined to be exactly where we are supposed to be, no matter what we do. And that's a lot like us, dear listeners. Pete and I are here doing what we're meant to do, making fools of ourselves on a podcast. And you, why, you're exactly where you're destined to be as well, watching Pete and I slowly begin to sundown as we all learn and laugh about anxiety together. Why not celebrate our destinies together? How? Well, Pete and I hope you don't need us to throw a cannonball down your emotional chimneys to tell you how. Just grab your family, leave the farm, and become a panic pal today. That's right, for a one-time non-reoccurring payment of $35. He said $35? I think he did. Sound work. For only $35, you get access 
to all of these episodes earlier than you can even imagine. Access to the live streams. You can talk to us over Discord. There's going to be stickers and there's going to be anxiety coupons that we send you. We send you things that we've signed that prove that we're best friends forever. There's so much if you become a panic pal. We don't want your personal information. We're not going to ask you to do anything else or sell your information to the Russians yet. But the point is, if you become a panic pal, you help us support this podcast that we love to do, but it is not free to do. For just $35, you will help support season six. That's this season of What's That Smell? We thank you for your time, and we thank you for your service. And now, on with the show. Pete, with your permission, and this isn't the first time, I'd like to tell you a harrowing tale. Oh, yes, Tom. I've been so looking forward to this. I think I've used the word harrowing in every single episode. (laughs) Okay, okay. Uh, Thank you for your permission. And before we begin, I need to make one thing clear. I hate and have always hated graham crackers. I, it's true. It's 100 percent true. I don't like it. What yeah, s'mores? More like more what like slices. <laughs> All right. I don't what? like them. I don't like the taste. <laughs> I don't like them in toast crunch. I don't like cinnamon. I don't like anything. They're, no. You don't like cinnamon. I, don't like, I also what? don't like cinnamon. I don't like anything with a soft C. Cilantro, cinnamon, get out of here. <laughs> you do. That's not true. I legitimately don't like cinnamon and I hate graham crackers. All of this is true. Why would I lie to you? This isn't like setting up a bit. <laughs> and also, this is I'm expecting a no, bit. This is just keep that up. I I was, this is just the first sentence. Did you hear the first bit that we did in this show today, Tom? You have just drawn an ideological line oh, around no. soft seafoods. Oh, no. Remember, it's gray. It's not black and white. <laughs> see me in the middle. Okay. I am okay. not my grape cracker. All right. Here we go. Oh, we'll see. Many years ago, in a series of events fairly well known to avid listeners of this podcast, I cleverly managed to rupture my Achilles tendon. I was doing something very masculine and athletic and cool. Do you remember what it was, Pete? Yes. That's right. I was saving people from an orphanage fire. Moving on. (laughs) I was not. I was running off of a sidewalk curb. Anyways, in any, but at least it was cool because it was for a scavenger hunt. So lame. So single. In any case, I needed to get it. Did you get the fireman to sign your card, (laughs) though? And Mm, it's like, why is that? Why did you sign it your own name? Um, Yeah. (laughs) Anyways, in order to get it fixed, I needed anesthesia. Now, I'm going to skip forward post-surgery and pick this story up when I woke up from the anesthesia when I was put under and was in the recovery room, okay? So I hurt myself, boo-hoo, go to the doctor, we're going to put you under, they put me under, now I've woken up. Because Yeah, I think I can track. Because you're not allowed to eat for at least 12 hours before being put under, a nurse had laid out a light snack of apple juice and graham crackers for me when when I woke up. Very sweet. But you remember my thoughts about graham crackers. So uh, when I was sort of recovering, I very meekly and sheepishly got the nurse's attention and I believe very nicely apologized, but said, I really dislike graham crackers. I really can't eat them. Is there anything else I can have instead? Because I was quite hungry. And she looked at me like I was the... Did she like hand you a roll yeah. of gauze? Said, Good <laughs> luck, kid. Yeah. She just puts me back yeah. under. No, uh, she looked yeah. at me like I was the rudest person on the planet. And made like a really big huff and stormed off. I'm not kidding. And I was like, I felt so guilty wow. and confused. I was like, I didn't know yeah. that there was like a real, like a real problem with asking that. I was starving. And I just, anyways, it wasn't until later, Pete. Have I not told you the story? I don't think I have. No, I'm I'm on Tinder hooks here. It wasn't until later in that afternoon, another nurse filled me in. I don't remember if it was because I asked, like, is that really that big of an offense? I asked why nurse number one was so pissed. Apparently, before I was lucid, I was awake from anesthesia and apparently had been pleading for graham crackers. I I remember (laughs) none of this because I wasn't lucid. I was saying to the nurse, graham crackers are the only thing I can eat. And that nurse, they don't serve graham crackers. She hunted around the hospital for graham crackers, found them. And only then did I become lucid and complain that I had graham crackers. So let me just walk you through one more time. Wham, wham, I need graham crackers. I'm in pain. Help me. She hunts around, gives me graham crackers. I take one bite and immediately go, ma'am, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I cannot (laughs) eat graham crackers. Can I have anything else? Insane. I don't remember anything of the first part. So... Luckily, very luckily, that is the weirdest thing that has ever happened to me regarding anesthesia. Which, And also surprising, I haven't had a ton of anesthesia in my life. It seems like I've been yeah, right. put under a lot. But that doesn't make me any less skittish about being put under. Because the whole idea of anesthesia, while I think it is amazing, is also there is something underlying terrifying about it. Pete, 
This week, I present to you... Well, there isn't actually a term I could find for fear of anesthesia. I can't find one anywhere. There, the closest I can find is tomophobia, but that's a fear of surgery, and we can we'll probably talk about that later on. So let's just keep moving forward. Um, fear of anesthesia—the idea of being put, not of like, hey, it's anesthesia, run, but the idea of being put under. Correct. Anesthophobia. Uh, oh, are you are you just coming we up with that? Just- no, I just got, I'm just coming up with it. And that's the phone. Let's call it. I want to call it that. I love it because I was thinking we would have to come up with our own term. Um, anesthophobia. Anesthophobia. That's what I think. That's what I'm that's what I'm going to gun for. Will you write that down? Anesthophobia. I think that's great. Will I write that yeah. down? I'm publishing right now. <laughs> All my journals that I get from you. Um, yeah. Real quick, because I want to ask you about your history with anesthesia. Do you mind if I give you, because sometimes I do this, a teeny bit of history of anesthesia? Oh, absolutely. Okay, because researching for this week, I read way too much about the history of anesthesia, but don't worry. I'm only going to share you three things because this is not that kind of podcast, and I've gotten a lot better about not over-copying pasting. And let me just say, real-time feedback, I have found one article that already uses the term anesthophobia, a healthy fear of anesthesia is a good thing, and it is written by a veterinarian. Outstanding. And it's about putting putting your pets Oh, under, you're worried about putting, oh, I thought and, like the pets were like, we're scared. <laughs> anesthesia. No, it's, and, and so it's about like, you know, when your pets don't want to do it. And yeah. I guess, and no, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to do it with your pets. Pets don't know what things are. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Anesthophobia. Anesthophobia. It's a legit thing. It's a thing. We didn't, we didn't make it up. And that's a real shame, but that doesn't keep us from putting it on the t-shirts. Okay. Go ahead. Here we go. <clears throat> So here's the short history. About the best uh, that had been found by the beginning of the 1840s, like before the 1840s, we were like, put some ice on it. Um, then around the 1840s, we got we got <laughs> opium, and we started giving people like large doses of laudanum. Didn't work well when someone was getting a case of the knifeys. It would just work well for little things. Another expedient way was to make the patient dead drunk. <laughs> that was fun. Oh, that was yeah. fun until it wasn't. And by wasn't, I mean when the surgery started. Then, here's giant step number one. Nitrous oxide was introduced in the 1840s after a young chemist in Jefferson, Georgia, named Crawford Long, discovered young people were sniffing the gas at popular, quote, happy hours. That's what they called it. They'd all group together in a party and have a happy hour sniffing nitrous oxide. And then when they'd bump into stuff or fall over, they wouldn't complain about getting hurt. He was like, huh, I'm onto something. After that, laughing gas was used in dental practices. They still tried to use, they tried to use it in regular surgery, didn't work, and a lot of other anesthetics were attempted during surgery. Nothing ever worked, nothing ever worked until, are you ready for the final step, giant step number two? Huge. On October 16th, 1846, 27-year-old dental surgeon William T.G. Morton, Thomas Green, Morton, gave the first ever successful public demonstration of ether anesthesia during surgery when he removed a tumor from a patient he had put under at an operating theater in Massachusetts that later became known as the Ether Dome. <laughs> which, which I enjoy that. <laughs> the anesth- Is yeah, that true? The, they called it, it was, it was a Massachusetts General Hospital and it later became known as the Ether Dome. The anesthesia was so successful and here's the only reason that I really wanted to bring it up, was that visiting surgeon John Collins Warren, who'd seen a lot of all these other experiments go poorly, Famously noted, in admiration to the other onlookers after seeing it work so well, gentlemen, this is no humbug. (laughs) We used to talk (laughs) stupid. All right, so enough of that. Anesthesia. This is the thing. Do you like when you this is the thing you put ether on a on a hanky and put it over someone's mouth if you're going to kidnap them? Well, right? I think that's is more that chloroform. That's what you do. Ether is l- chloroform. Yeah. That's yeah. chloroform. Ether that's is not more ether. of like you're writing the rules for the Cedar House. <laughs> the Cedar House rules. That's a fun literary. <laughs> he died from laudanum or ether. Anyways, do you want that was the Cider House, right? What did I say? Not cedar the, House? No, the it Cedar was next House, door. which it also might <laughs> be a Cedar door. Cider House, yeah. but I want to make sure we get our woods right. Yeah. And my uh, hospital is Cedar Sinai. So the point being, <laughs> I have some information about what people are worried about and why, and if there's good chances or not. First, I'd like to talk to you. Do you have any? Are you just willy nills about anesthesia, or do you get a little worried about it? Willy nills. I I genuine. I generally uh, I'm o- I'm okay with it because you know my my problem is is the needles right. historically. So if if I can get over the needles, I'm pretty much like take me. Take me wherever you want me, Doc. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just, I'm really fine once we get there. And I, uh, you know, I had, when I had my tonsils out, 
I was put under for mm-hmm. the tonsillectomy. And uh, apparently when I came back up and I was in that I love graham crackers <laughs> stage, the yeah. graham cracker philia, yeah. I think is yep. that that particular stage. I asked my uh, the night nurse to marry me many times Ooh. and I was like 16. Wow. So uh, yeah, I was too young. She did not say yes um, ever, sure. ever, which was good. Uh, but she did become my mom's best friend for like 25 really? years. So that's something. So the night yeah, nurse is still yeah. in the picture. She's yeah. still around. Yeah. And your so, autobiography, um, The Night I, Nurse is Still in the Picture, that's coming out <laughs> soon. Yeah. Well, COVID has sure. delays. I do have a, a, a friend who is who went through um, the thing that I think genuinely terrifies people who oh, are terrified of, of Can anesthetic. Can I pause you? Yeah. Because I know exactly Please. what you're about to say. In 2016, yeah. there was a cross-sectional study talking about uh, when people going into surgery where anesthesia would be involved. There were 450 that were surveyed. 75% felt anxiety about the anesthesia, while only 15% felt anxiety about the surgical procedure. So yes, anesthesia mm-hmm. on its own, way up there. And uh, of that 75%, 56% were worried they wouldn't wake up and... Oh, well, about graham crackers and the night nurse, 52% were worried about divulging secrets while under. That never occurred to oh, me, totally. but now you know how I feel about graham crackers and night nurses. But the big one, with a whopping 73%, is fear of, I hope I've gotten it right, interoperative awareness. Meaning you are awake and lucid, but any, unable to move or help, ask for help <sighs> while during surgery. Is that what you were about to share? That's what I was about to share. Yeah. It's really, there's no way around it. That's the big one. Yeah. So tell me yeah, your that's horrible the big story. One. Well, it's no, it's not, it's not so much of a, I mean, it was a, an eight hour, uh, back surgery and, um, they were lucid the whole time and in, in their head screaming, ah! shrieking, uh, but, uh, not, you know, responsive and, you know, to anybody else, like nobody else, they, they, all, everything looked like it was completely normal. And it's been, you know, 15 years and they're still like completely traumatized Oof. by the experience. Like, yeah, I mean, Oof. it's like, don't go outside. It leads to a whole bunch of other sort of, you know, parallel issues, you know, hoarding behavior, um, fear of, of you know, uh, out just going out of doors, right? Just you know, the sun, agoraphobia. Because it might lead to something that leads right. to anesthesia. Just, do, just don't move. Oof. And so it is, it is incredibly difficult to, to get past that because it is the same kind of it's like war trauma right. it's like um you know it it, it is it, it's massive ptsd and and just a heartbreaking recovery emotional recovery well this week's tune is ain't looking back oh i thought i thought we were just a full stop you want to keep going well i have because interoperative i'm sorry intra not inter intraoperative awareness is so horrific they actually made a horrible movie about it starring hayden christensen it's called awake don't mm-hmm. see it not even because it's scary because it's poor, poorly made it's also yeah, it's yeah, also it's a real pass made. uh but one thing to remember is that intraoperative awareness affects less than 0.1 percent of all patients under anesthesia that's one in a thousand mm-hmm. and you're twice as likely to die choking on graham crackers and yes i looked that up choking on food seriously yeah. but one in a thousand still felt a little high to me, to be honest. Like I wanted it to be yeah. point zero, 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 zero. the point. Zero, yeah, you know when they say things like one in a million, right? That's what I the want. The point zero 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 one percent. That's the chance of not waking up from anesthesia. You're twice as likely to die in a tornado than not wake up from anesthesia. So that's pretty good. But this one in a thousand seemed a little creepy. But here's the good news: the vast, vast, vast majority. I'm talking about 80, 80 no, it was 94 to 97 percent of those who have suffered intraoperative awareness do not experience any pain. Rather, they just have vague auditory recall or a sense of dreaming and are not really distressed by the experience. Mm-hmm. The idea of that the pain is still blocked, that you are lucid but not suffering. You're just sort of a little more aware than they think you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the chances, I mean, anesthesia is an enormous move forward. 
<laughs> for medical science yeah. and for people. Yeah. Huge. yeah, all of we will in the show notes, we will uh, be putting up a link to a history of anesthesia. If you want to read it and never sleep again, <laughs> feel free. That's what I'm only <laughs> sharing the happy stuff from that. There's plenty of horribleness about the history of anesthesia until we. Oh, got good no, at you it. know what you should do? You want to get good. You want to feel good about anesthesia. Go watch the Nick. Oh, with um, uh, well, handsome man, Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Okay, I haven't seen that because I don't have Showtime. No, you will want anesthesia, like just while you're watching the oh, show. God. You'll want okay. it. Yeah, it, it is the story of the the Knickerbocker Hospital. It's like inspired by the Knickerbocker Hospital in a period where they're just figuring out how to do all kinds of stuff and uh, precise uh, uh, in l- use of painkilling. Right, is not a thing in, in that show at all, ever. Yes, that's they hadn't gotten that right yet in 1860. Well, luckily, our so, year starts with a two. Yeah. So we're a lot better at it. We actually, you will meet your anesthesiologist before anything happens, and they will be there the entire time. And again, uh, they kind of got maybe got lost in the shuffle, but the percentage of people that are worried about it, through the roof. The percentage or possibility of anything actually happening, through the ground. That means very, very, yeah. very small. Uh, it is a fear that I have, but I was I just recently was able to get over it uh, because I just, uh, for avid listeners, I just had my endoscopy and colonoscopy that we can talk about in a future episode, or hopefully, oh, or hopefully a... won't talk about. Wow. But either way, I did have anesthesia for it, and uh, it was fine, and it worked great, and I didn't wake up with graham cracker crumbs all over my shirt or my soul, so things are looking up. <laughs> That's my biggest fear, is that they'll put me under, and I'll still be lucid as they force-feed me graham crackers. What kind of a hospital is this? Oh, the, knicker, the Knickerbocker. That sounds like something they the do in the Knickerbocker. Clive, Clive Owen just jammed graham crackers down your throat while you were yeah. loosely anesthetized. Yeah. We don't know what we're doing yeah. yet. <laughs> <laughs> so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune is Ain't Looking Back by Richard Farrell. Coming up next week. It's in Florida. (laughs) We have lethal robot dogs in Florida. What could possibly go right? (laughs) I said, I guess it's a horrible bruise and it was big puffy. And I said, do you want to touch it? And she said, yeah. (laughs) Then you knew. I knew. You knew. Sometimes you know. Get off my set. Yeah, yep. that's a Get good one. Get off my set and yeah. into my car. <laughs> Thanks, Billy Ocean. That's not what you said. Until then, I'm Tommy Metz the third, And I'm Pete Wright. Thank you for downloading. We'll be back next week on What's That Smell? Oh.